Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our daily reading of the gospel and a meditation. I am James Thomas. Today is Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. It is Tuesday of the third week of Easter. Our gospel today is a continuation of the gospel according to John chapter 6. The crowd said to Jesus, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. It was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven, and gives life to the world. So they said to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So before getting into this gospel reading, and then continuing our discourse on the Mass, I just want to mention a couple things. I had said we were doing this in five parts, but the reality is, I think there's about seven parts, or maybe even eight, when we do this as part of daily Mass uh, readings. When when there's the the John 6, the Bread of Life discourse is read at Sunday Mass once every three years. It takes five weeks to cover it, five Sundays, whereas in the third week of Easter, and this actually started in the second week of Easter, reading John 6, um... We're reading it every day this week, although today is the Feast of St. Mark, and so there is the option for reading the end of Mark's Gospel, but I figured, since this is meant to be a meditation on the Gospels, and I believe we heard the end of Mark's Gospel as uh, as part of one of the resurrection narratives, um, I figured, let's just continue with John 6. Let's get through it, step by step. This particular section that we just heard is very interesting. It's got a lot in here. For example, they're asking him, what sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? There's so many things wrong (laughs) with them asking him that. Because first of all, he just performed the miracle of the loaves and the fish. Right? And he fed them. It wasn't simply that he performed a miracle, it was for them so that they could eat. And now they're challenging him because they're not getting what they want from him. And he's challenging them. So they're saying, well, God gave us manna from heaven before. Are you like him? Can you give manna from heaven? In other words, Jesus, we know you fed us with that great miracle, the loaves and the fish, but we want something even greater. And really, there's an arrogance on the part of these crowds, but it leads right into what Jesus is trying to teach them and give them. He's trying to give us the Eucharist. So it goes right together with Jesus saying, listen, it wasn't Moses that gave you the manna. It was God. It was the Father that gives you the true bread from heaven. The Father gave the manna, and now he's giving me under the form of bread. Now he's giving the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Similar to what Jesus says to the woman at the well, 
I will give you life-giving water so that you will never thirst again. He's not saying your body will never need hydration again. He's saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you will be eternally satisfied, ultimately going to heaven. But even in this life, you will be satisfied. You will be given something where you will need, you won't need any more of it because you'll be filled with the life of God. And here he's essentially saying the same thing. I will give you the Eucharist, which will place God Almighty in you. You will be divinized by this. You will never hunger again. I am the bread of life. So there's a lot to it. And Jesus is going to get more and more specific over these next couple days as we continue with this and as we go deeper into it. So as we continue to read about the Eucharist and Jesus telling us about the Eucharist, I wanted to continue maybe one or two more days to talk about how to pray the Mass, which is just about my favorite topic. The uh, title of the talk yesterday was Why the Mass is the Most Important Thing in the Whole World. And now I just want to continue to talk about how we can make the most of it, how we can receive it the best. If It would be like if I were to say, oh, well, you know what? The Super Bowl is the best sporting event in the whole world, in the whole year. And then to follow it with a talk on, well, you know, this is the best way to watch it on TV, or this is the best place to sit in the stadium. And if you know more about football, then yes, you're going to get a far better experience watching this game. And in fact, I want to teach you about the players and I want to teach you all the ins and outs of what's going on here so that you really get a lot out of it and you'll be very entertained by it. You'll enjoy it more. So it's the same with the mass. The essential understanding of it that I was talking about yesterday is very simply this. Mass is a prayer. I was told, and I don't remember if I said this yesterday, but I guess this is from psychology. One of the reasons that we get upset about things is because our expectations are not met. And so if we keep that in mind, that it's about our expectations whether or not we have a good or bad experience with somebody or something, then uh, that helps us. It helps us to wrap our brains around it. It helps us to have a better experience because sometimes people are upset because, yeah, they're expecting something different. And I was saying how in this Novus Ordo Mass, this new Mass of the recent decades, there is this shift causing people to expect to be entertained. And so if the priest isn't funny enough, if he's not friendly enough, if he's not catering to the young people enough, then people will say, well, I didn't get anything out of that mass because that was their expectation. They're expecting it to be entertaining. They're expecting that. And this is, it's horrible what I'm about to say, but this is how a lot of people think. Well, it's, I hate to have to go to mass. It's so painful to have to be there in the first place. So at least there was this. And then there's always some thing that, you know, is really extremely non-essential to the mass. Like, well, at least the priest was funny or at least the priest was good looking or at least the music was was okay, or at least they, they fixed the carpet or cleaned the floor or whatever. All these extra things, all these things on the side, or at least the heat was working this week. Because, you know, it's so painful to have to even be there. So at least they gave us something else. 
And the reality is, if our expectation becomes what the Mass is really supposed to be, then we'll learn to love the Mass no matter what. No matter who the priest is, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what it's like outside. And in fact, we'll want more of it. We'll want to go more and more deeply into it. The problem is, as far as expectations go, this is a little side note, that when you learn more and more what the Mass truly is, and then you go to a Mass where that's not the focus, now I'm having an expectation that I should have, and my expectation is not being met, and that can be very upsetting. That's upsetting on a more essential level, on a more ontological level. Mass is a prayer. I'm going there to pray, and the people around me want to talk the whole time. Yeah, that's now I have reason to be upset. And it harkens back to Jesus really flipping out because they turned the temple that was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations into a marketplace. Jesus quoting the Old Testament, zeal for your house consumes me. I think of that quote all the time when I'm in mass and trying to pray and people around me are doing everything but Because some people, even when they go to entertainment, they don't sit still and and let themselves be entertained. They have to talk about it the whole time. They have to do whatever to, to be distracting. So when that happens in the mass, it's even worse. So let's get to our real expectation, what it should be, that mass is a prayer. Specifically, it's the prayer of Jesus to his father. This is what we're being invited into when we go to the mass, when our Lord tells us to keep holy the Sabbath day, when the church tells us we should attend Mass. We're being invited into the passion and death of Jesus being made present to take away the sins of the world. We are able to be there to connect with Jesus on the cross. We're there. We're able to pray. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he's literally offering his body and his blood. There was a student of mine years ago, not that long ago, but a few years back, maybe 10, 15 years ago, where I used to take the kids on retreat and I would explain to them the mass, you know, as one, one session that we would have on the retreat, we would talk about the passion of Jesus. And then we would talk about the mass and we would talk about how they're both the same thing and just try to draw the kids more and more deeply into how to pray the mass, which is what I'm doing in these talks, what I'm trying to do. And this one girl just really got it. She really understood. And from there on out, I would always be surprised, pleasantly surprised, when I would consecrate the host and offer Jesus to the Father, and she'd be crying. You know why? She was having a mystical experience, which is what's supposed to happen. She was imagining Jesus on the cross, which is what we are there for at Mass, And she was imagining his pain and imagining his suffering and and his passion that he went through, his torture. And she was feeling it. And she was crying because she loves Jesus so much. I haven't seen her in a while, and I wonder if she still does this. But I just remember attending numerous masses with her afterward, and, and she would be crying. Now, there have been one or two times that I've cried at mass because of this connection with Jesus on the cross. Very often, though, when I'm crying, it's because I'm connecting and the people around me are talking. And it gets so upsetting. 
you know, Padre Pio, when he was asked about people clapping at mass, I attended a mass yesterday. I wasn't crazy about the music, but at the end of mass, they all clapped for the music. And there's, I just remembered a quote from Padre Pio when they asked him, what do you think about clapping at the mass? And he said, well, the mass is the making present of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And there were people clapping as Jesus was dying on the cross. Yeah, the people that crucified him. The Roman centurions and the Jewish leaders, they were clapping. So if you want to, you know, be part of that circle, go for it. Go ahead and clap at the Mass. Wow, Padre Pio had very powerful words, even when he was forbidden to preach. Just a couple words from him here and there were more powerful than the words that some people say in their entire lives. So, anyway, that's what the Mass is. So how do we enter into it? Well, to meditate. You know, to meditate on the Passion, first of all, we have to be able to meditate. You can't meditate if you're distracted by a million things. Now, sometimes our distractions are whatever they are, what they are. We should bring them to prayer. I'm, I'm one that likes to say when I'm coaching people on how to pray, I like to say there's no such thing as a distraction. In other words, if you're still thinking about that movie you saw yesterday, fine, bring that to prayer. Jesus wants to know about that movie. He cares about you and where your thoughts are. If you're thinking about an interaction you had with someone that you love, fine, bring it to prayer. If you're thinking about the good or the bad that happened to you at work yesterday, bring that to prayer. No such thing as a distraction. Bring it. Whereas the Mass is a particular type of prayer. We do want to bring all of our stuff to Jesus, good, bad, ugly, family, friends, ourselves, our sins, our good points. We want to bring all that to Mass. But at the same time, we do have to grow to become less, less self-centered. And that's one of the problems with people praying the Mass. We've become a very self-centered society, a very narcissistic society, for whatever reason. We could talk about that another day. But in being narcissistic, we think things are all about us. And that especially is a problem with the Mass and the new Mass. All the options make people think, well, he didn't do the options that I want, and therefore it wasn't a good Mass. In the old Mass, they didn't have those options, so you just attended Mass, plain and simple. And the Mass presents Jesus on the cross. So people tend to think it's all about them, and it's not. It's not. The expectation needs to be it's all about Jesus. It's about him on the cross. So we meditate. We, we strive to meditate on the cross. Like I had mentioned yesterday, Sister Faustina, St. Faustina said, offer the blood and the wounds of Jesus to the Father. When you're distracted during Mass, just do that. Just say, Father, I offer you the blood and the wounds of Jesus. I offer you his blood and his wounds. Because that's what the Mass is. We're offering the sacrifice of Jesus. The priest in Persona Christi, in the person of Christ, is offering Jesus to the Father. In other words, Jesus is doing it, but he does it through the priest. But as lay people sitting there in the pew, kneeling there in the pew, really, um, the laity can enter into this as well. And this is what Vatican II talks about when it talks about active participation. It doesn't mean everybody has to run around on the altar. What it means is, Everyone needs to be attentive and enter in. So how do we assist ourselves in being better at meditation? 
Well, one thing is to pray during the week. Pope Benedict wrote something not too long ago, talking about, I I think specifically he was talking about the rosary, but this could apply to a lot of different prayers. He said, it was something about Mary in the liturgy and, and, you know, did we, did we get rid of Mary at Vatican II? And he was making a point that, and I forget, I forget the whole thing, but I just do remember his main point. The main point was there's liturgy and there's devotions. Liturgy is literally where we encounter Jesus and we encounter the cross. Liturgy is where we are saved. Our devotions prepare us for the liturgy. So as we pray every day, and especially as we pray before Mass, it's, pre- it's tilling the soil. It's preparing our hearts for the liturgy and our encounter with God. So that's why it's important as we go through our week to pray the rosary, read the Bible, to offer whatever other types of prayers we're going to offer, spend time in adoration, sing songs, turn on K-Love or whatever, get some recordings of old hymns, palestrina, whatever, Gregorian chant. So we do things prayerfully throughout the week and especially before Mass to get ourselves prepared. A priest once told me on Saturday night, Catholics would not go out because Mass was the next day. If you went out Saturday night and were dancing and singing and whatever, that was a distraction. Imagine. You know, I'm not saying, all right, you're committing a sin if you go out Saturday night. But what I am saying is, imagine if we really loved our faith, what we would do. Avoiding even going out on Saturday night because you know you're going to church Sunday. That's, that's great. That's dedication. So I think to myself, I pray the Mass so much better when I spend time in prayer before Mass specifically the rosary or the liturgy of the hours, divine mercy chaplet, etc. At least getting to church early, spending time in quiet prayer, we till the soil of our hearts. We get ourselves more attentive. We focus ourselves a little bit better. Then the Mass begins. And at the beginning of the Mass, we have the penitential rite and the gloria, Penitential rite is not meant to be like confession to absolve you of your sins, but if there are venial sins, you know, and, and I mean, if there's mortal sins, that penitential rite reminds us, okay, I can't go to communion today, but still I want to just tell Jesus, I'm sorry, prepare my heart as best I can just to be here for his sacrifice, promise him to make a good confession as soon as possible. If we're only in venial sin, well, then we're we're asking the Lord, you know, please forgive me for my sins and preparing our hearts to receive him in Holy Communion. And uh, if we, you know, Holy Communion, receiving communion, one of the effects of it is to take away venial sin. If we are uh, attentive, if we are preparing ourselves, if we're asking him for forgiveness, Holy Communion takes away venial sin. So that's the penitential rite. Then there's the Gloria. Remember the origin of the Gloria. Gloria. The angels singing as Jesus was being born. So they're singing glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. And they're appearing to the shepherds and they're telling them where to find the baby, the new king in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. 
<coughs> and so we're welcoming Jesus into the world once again in that Mass. We're welcoming him to come into our hearts in Holy Communion. And we're using a scriptural prayer, the glory, the gloria from the angels. So we're welcoming Jesus in, we're preparing our hearts for him, and then we begin the Liturgy of the Word. Now in the Old Mass, there was less to the Liturgy of the Word. In the New Mass, we do a little bit more. We have a psalm, we have Old and New Testament readings, and then the Gospel. We, as a church, there is an effort to connect these readings, especially the Old Testament and the New Testament reading. There are so many parallels between the Old and New Testament. All these things ultimately were meant to prepare for Christ. And so we listen to the readings. We listen to a sermon. And this is about, I like to use the image that Jesus gives us. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We hear the voice of Jesus. And this is a very real image when we consider the ordination of the priest or the deacon. They're ordained for preaching, for reading that word. It's not some simple thing that, oh, yeah, because they got, you know, they're special. They get to wear those vestments and they get to read the special reading. No, there's actually a charism of holy orders. There's many charisms that come with holy orders and very often in this recent church, these things are swept aside. I can do it just as good as he can. But the reality is through that gift of holy orders, there is a special grace for proclaiming the gospel and preaching, meaning that the Holy Spirit works through it in a particular way. Because this man is ordained, the Holy Spirit is active through his proclaiming of the gospel in a way that wouldn't happen with a layperson, even if that layperson is a great reader, even if that layperson is very holy. And, and hey, if they're more holy, then sure, there's greater possibility, you know, for graces to be conveyed there uh, on a practical level and on an invisible supernatural level. All these things work. But yes, invisibly, through the priest, through the deacon, through the one ordained, God speaks to us through the word in a way that's more profound Especially if the priest is praying, dear Lord, use me for this. Dear Lord, speak through me in my preaching. God always answers that prayer. And people will say, wow, Father, that was so great, that thing you said. And it's usually the thing that the priest didn't prepare to say. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit as he was preaching. So we hear the voice of the shepherd and then we follow him. The best way to prepare for the Eucharist is listening to his word, meditating on his word, soaking it in, and wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper. I love to swim, and I think of just, uh, you know, I don't know, different times that I've gone deep. Maybe I'm scuba diving on a trip, or maybe uh, I think of the coin toss that we had on 4th of July growing up where you got to spend some time at the bottom of the pool looking for those coins, especially if any of them fell into the diving well. Or even just when we were allowed to swim in the diving well, we shut down the boards and we'd, you know, put the goggles on and go deep, maybe look for things down there at the bottom of the pool. I don't know. Or when I would vacuum the pool, I would sometimes get in and swim with it and take it down to the bottom of the well and just have a good time, get a deep breath and go down there. Well, I like to use that image as well for the mass. As the Mass goes on, we're called to go deeper. 
We start on the surface. If we're running in at the last minute, we're all distracted. Yeah, we're really on the surface. We're not even jumping in the water. If we've prepared, okay, we're in the shallow end. And then through the word, through the course of the mass, if we're praying, if we're being attentive, if we're asking Jesus to come into our hearts, we're going deeper. We're going deeper into the mass, into the presence of Jesus, into him just wanting to connect with us in our hearts. We're going deeper into our own hearts. And we're creating the proper scenario to have a more profound and amazing encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. And I will leave you there to be continued tomorrow as we get into the liturgy of the Eucharist. I hope everybody has a great day. God bless you.